Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. We're continuing our series called Practicing the Way of Jesus as we look at the rhythms and lifestyle of Jesus and begin to embrace them as our own. This week we are looking at the practice of prayer and specifically focusing on Jesus' teaching about this known as the Lord's Prayer. Follow along as we tackle some misconceptions about what prayer is and discover the richness and beauty that Jesus portrays about its role in our life. We hope you enjoy this message. We have been in a series called Practicing the Way of Jesus. The main idea of this series that we've been in for the past few weeks is that Jesus offers the best life possible, the most abundant life possible. He claims that in John 10.10. The tension is many of us believe in Jesus, but also don't feel like we're experiencing the best life possible. And so we are at a rift. How can he offer the best life possible? We believe in him and we don't feel like we're experiencing the best life possible. What's the deal? The whole premise of this series is that we will never experience the life Jesus offers until we also embrace the lifestyle Jesus modeled. In other words, the life Jesus offers wasn't just some mental cerebral like, yeah, believe in me and you'll have the best life ever. No, it was believe in me here and then begin to adopt my ways of living. What are my values? Make them your values. What do I practice? Make them your practices. And then you actually begin to experience the best life imaginable. Most Americans end at the belief cerebrally. I believe in them, I think God's real. But we never actually begin to cultivate the practices of Jesus. And so we feel it, we are missing out. This doesn't feel like the best life. Guess what, it's not, because we haven't incorporated the ways of living. This whole series is about practicing the ways of Jesus. We spent two weeks on silence and solitude. Did anyone test the waters of silence and solitude? Anyone spend some alone time by yourself with your thoughts? Good for you guys, man. It's a little awkward. It's a little scary. Talking about distraction. You spend like five seconds in silence and solitude and you're like, what do I do? I, I've got nothing to, like, you, it's, all of a sudden you realize how little attention span you have. Tonight we are gonna be talking about prayer. We're gonna move to the next practice. We're talking about prayer. If you look through the Gospels, prayer seems to be not just this central idea to the life of Jesus. Prayer seems to be like the DNA of who Jesus is. It is in prayer, through the Spirit, in the presence of God that Jesus operated in his life and ministry. And these radical miracles we see, the teachings of Jesus, all of those flowed from his prayer life. Now, if we're really honest, a lot of us don't truly understand prayer. We know what it means to pray. Maybe you pray before meals, good for you. But a lot of us really don't understand prayer. Beyond that, it's just mysterious. Most of us don't do it. We don't really even get it. Here are four beliefs about prayer that I think exist. Four beliefs about prayer. This is how we tend to think about prayer. In prayer, God doesn't really care about us, so what's the point of praying? All right, I've heard this a lot. I don't think God really cares about us. He created the world and then just kind of dipped, man, like it's a failed project. He's onto some planet somewhere else, right? Like in a different solar system and galaxy. He's not, he doesn't care about us. So why even pray? I hear this one. God doesn't care about us. Second belief that I hear often is that God is distant from us. Like, I don't feel him. When I pray, it feels like I'm talking to the ceiling. I don't understand. Like, dude, it seems like Jesus can like hear God, like in his ears. And I've like never heard God. It just seems like he's distant from us. And therefore, prayer seems like a very um, confusing and an unintimate practice. Most of us don't do it. Number three, God, and therefore praying, is boring. Man, I've tried to pray. Like, I've, like, 
I've done the whole thing where it's like New Year's resolutions. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna wake up at 5 a.m. every day, 20 minutes. I'm gonna pray before everyone wakes up. Look how holy I am, how spiritual I feel in that moment, right? Like we've tried that. We've fallen asleep through that. We get in there. We don't really know what to say. It's like, uh, God, I, I, I don't know. My cat has surgery in a week. Uh, do something for that, maybe. Is that appropriate to pray for? Like most of us approach prayer like, what do I even say? What's right? To, do I ask for a new car? I've prayed for that girlfriend for a while. God, do you care about that? Most of us approach prayer with zero idea on what to do, and so we don't really do anything. We, we, we get bored with it. It's just like sitting in a stale room. We don't feel God. We think he's distant. He doesn't really care, and therefore, we think prayer is boring, and so we don't engage with it. And then fourth, prayer doesn't really make a difference. I, I've prayed, man. Like I, I have family members. I've been praying for them. Uh, I have people in my family who are sick, battling cancer, battling whatever. Man, we've been praying, and nothing's helping. Prayer doesn't make a difference. So why pray? Do any of these four, even one, seem remotely familiar to you? Yes, no? Wow, okay, cool. (laughs) Yes, do I say that? Yes, yeah. Like these are are really common beliefs, misconceptions about prayer. I didn't say they're right, but this is what we believe about prayer. So tonight, I just want to look at prayer. I want to look at Jesus and, and how he kind of teaches on prayer. And, and I think his most famous way of teaching about prayer is called the Lord's Prayer. That's what we call it. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew tonight. Matthew chapter 6, um, starting in verse 7. That's where we're going to be tonight. Jesus is teaching on prayer. Um, there's two accounts of this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. One is in Matthew chapter 6. The other is in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Luke is um, kind of the abridged version. This is like, uh, you know, the extended version. And in Luke, what we see is the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, would you teach us how to pray? Now, this is actually really amazing because if you think about the life and ministry of Jesus, Jesus uh, had authority over the natural realm. He was uh, speaking to the weather, controlling the weather. Jesus was healing people, um, their bodies, people whose legs didn't work, eyes didn't work, uh, people who... Uh, were sick with all sorts of diseases, even people who were dead. Jesus is like, psych, (laughs) uno reverse. Like Jesus had authority over the natural world. When he spoke, one of the things that was often noted about him is he speaks with authority and people were amazed. So he had authority over the natural and Jesus has authority over the supernatural. So Jesus would often in his ministry deliver people from demonic oppression, casting demons out of people or removing demons from an area or things like that. So Jesus has all authority over the natural and the supernatural. And if you're a disciple of Jesus and you've been rolling with him, you've been one of his holy rollers for a few years, you you would think you would come up to Jesus and you would ask him to teach you to fill in the blank. For me personally, I'd probably go the weather route. Jesus, man, could you teach me how to make, how like control weather? Like how do you speak to the weather? Because dude, my boys love a snowball fight. I'd love to make it snow tonight, you know? Some of you may be like, dude, I'd love to heal people. I'd, I'd love to know how he cast out demons. The disciples had some successes and failures there, right? Like, if you could ask Jesus to teach you one thing that you've seen him do, what would it be? This is the only time in the Gospels, in all of the accounts of the disciples' interactions with Jesus, this is the one and only time 
where they ask him to teach them to do something. So it's very significant. And what do they ask him to do? Would you teach us how to talk to God the way you do? Because dude, we, we have observed you and watched you. We, don't, we can't even fathom. How do you talk to God like that? Teach us how to pray. It's amazing. It's an amazing, like this was their request. It's an amazing thing. And I would imagine, honestly, that a lot of us would echo that request. Dude, I don't know how to pray, Jesus. It seems like it's important to you. I wanna know how to do it. How do I come before God? What do I talk about? How do I hear God? Where do I sense the spirit moving? How do I join him there? Does it even matter? Would you teach us how to pray? Matthew chapter six, Jesus answers this question. This is the extended version, starting in verse seven. Jesus says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You, you guys ever met anyone that prays and all of a sudden when they pray, it's like they've got, um, <laughs> it's like King James all of a sudden entered their vocabulary. You guys ever heard anyone pray like this? Like they're totally normal every day, day of the week. But when they pray, it's like, oh God, if you are our most if beautiful if right? It's like, what are you, like he's impressed with an ETH? Like, I, what's the deal? I remember one time I was at a, a family uh, Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know how your family affairs go. My, m mine usually are like, I see aunts and uncles I haven't seen in a year, like since last Thanksgiving. And one time I went to this uh, Thanksgiving and everyone was there. This is back when I was in seminary. And they asked me to pray. Can anyone relate? Like, if you go to a context and you're the only Christian or something like that, they're like, hey, you're a Christian, right? Could you pray for us? Like, okay. This context was like, you go to Bible college, don't you? Why don't you pray? It's like, you'll have the most holy prayers, the most beautiful language. I said, sure, I'll pray. Everyone held hands, bowed our heads. I said, God, we thank you for the family here and we thank you for this food, amen. Like, what am I, like, what, what am I praying for? The meal in front of us and the people around. Dude, my, my aunt like scolded me. She said, nice prayer, Matt. I was like, I thought it was a nice prayer. Like that's what my, you asked me to pray, man. Rebuke you, okay? But we tend to have this idea that like, wow, puberty hit, right? Did you hear that? We tend to have this idea that in order for God to hear us, we need to somehow fancify our prayers. That's why we're playing Wordle. I gotta learn the language. Tacit last week got me or whatever. That, that one tripped me up. Vivid this week tripped me up. Good for you, man. I didn't. Okay. I don't mean to brag, but I got it in three guesses. <laughs> Humble. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Jesus says, don't worry about your words. If you're struggling to pray to God, if you're struggling like, what do I say? Don't worry about your words. Don't worry about sounding good. Don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about like, I, do I say the right? Just say, just talk. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And then Jesus introduces uh, what is known as the Lord's Prayer. It's the most famous uh, prayer. Jesus says, our father, most of you guys probably have heard this or even know this by heart. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Most of you guys have heard that. Some of you guys might even pray that every day. 
It's a great prayer. So what does Jesus mean by this? Well, tonight, I wanna start working through the Lord's Prayer. We're not gonna be able to get through it all. But I just wanna break down a few concepts that Jesus is teaching about and maybe reveal to us some things about the idea of prayer that Jesus has for us tonight. So the first is this, this idea of, he starts this whole prayer with our Father. And if we had like, I don't know, if I had four hours, like if this was some kind of like, I don't know, conference and I was speaking for hours and hours and hours, I would go into the significance of him choosing this title to call God Father in that language that he did. But he begins this this idea of calling God Father, which was like, I just, I can't even unpack the idea of how revolutionary this was for his hearers, like for Jesus to do this and to do it in, in the Aramaic language that he did. It was just unheard of to give God this sense of intimacy, to give God this sense of, of, of family, to the, the creator of everything, to all of a sudden call him dad. Like it was just unreal to think that way. And Jesus includes this our word here. This, this is typically translated father or our father. Both are appropriate, but the our idea is like that we are brothers and sisters. This is our father, that we are a family. I know, and I don't wanna overlook the fact that for some in the room, and honestly for a lot in the room, The idea of father stirs up pain. It's not a comforting thought. There's a lot of us in the room with father wounds or trauma or terrible experiences. And to think about God as father or dad, the image of our own painful experiences comes into play. And man, it's just a roadblock. It's like, that does nothing for me. But the beauty of what Jesus is doing is not to get us to think about our own earthly dads and imagine God that way. It's to introduce this whole new idea of what a father was always intended to be. This whole new idea of what a loving father would be, what a gentle father would be, what a close father would be. A father who has good intentions for you. It's not meant to be defined by earthly fathers but instead in a heavenly lens. Like this is the only father that will never have to come to you and apologize for damage done to you. I don't care how good a dad you are, you're gonna mess up, but God never does. And Jesus introducing this idea is is not meant for us to stumble because we can't get past the pain of our earthly fathers. It's meant to actually liberate us and heal us from viewing God through that lens by discovering him as a whole different type of father. When I come home, uh, every day when I come home, I come home around the same time every day. I I pull in my driveway around 5.45 every day. And when I park, I open the uh, door and there's just the slightest little to it. And I try to be so quiet. But I open it and I close it. I don't let it slam. I take my keys off of my belt. There's a little jingle. And those little noises are are all that's needed. And all of a sudden, I'll hear from upstairs my beautiful 19-month-old girl scream, Dada! She doesn't even see me. She's going berserk, like full, like full body shaking in mom's arms, or she's, she's like trying to crawl as fast as she can. Like she gets to the top of the stairwell and is like about to come, like, no, baby. Like she's just, it's Dada! And she typically cues the brothers once they hear her going crazy, my middle gray, he's three, three and a half. He doesn't love wearing clothes, so he's 
usually just got underwear on, if that, he's sprinting through the house. And my oldest son, he's six, he's running and usually covering his ears because he knows baby girl and, and younger brother will deafen him if he doesn't. And they're just, I mean, it's a stampede down the stairs, man. It's like a zombie, apo- like, it's dead, like everything. And they just all run to me. They're, ta- I mean, it, they've got, you know, maybe markers all over their hands or food all over their face. And usually I get away with wearing a pair of pants once before I have to wash them because that, when I come home, everything comes towards me. I just hugs crawling on me. And from, from the moment I come home, 545 to 8.30 at night, it's dad mode. We're wrestling, we're playing, we're eating dinner, we're reading together, we're, we're doing, it's, that is the devoted time. And they know that. I don't walk through the door. One second, guys, one second. Let me just, I gotta send this email real quick. I never walk through the door that way. You know why? You show someone half attention long enough, they no longer get excited to see you because they know you're not excited to see them. I never come home and multitask. I never come home with something else that I gotta do while I walk in. I come home and I'm ready to be with my kids. Jesus wants us to understand that, that our heavenly father delights in us, loves to be with us, and has good intentions for us. What I've learned over the years is oftentimes how we view God will determine how we pray to God. Do you view God as some like weird old dude with a long gray beard? who's just like ready to smite everyone that takes his name in vain. Up, oh, you said God, and you weren't talking to me. You were talking about me, lightning bolt. <laughs> like, is that how you view God? Some weird, old, judgmental dude? Do you view God as, as kind of a vending machine? Like, I don't really go to him unless I need something. Put a dollar in, punch A1. Prayer request. How you view God, how you imagine God, will, hear me on this, will make or break your prayer life. If you view God as a loving dad who drops everything to be with you and gives you full attention, delights in you, loves spending time with you, brags about you, talks about you every single week to his students, then you will begin to know that God is this amazing father who loves spending time with us. And in turn, you begin to love to spend time with him. Jesus goes on, he says, our father in heaven. So I'm gonna pause there because heaven's an important word here. Typically when we think of heaven, uh, there's, some, there's some misunderstandings and if we're honest, like really bad theology about this idea. Most of us, Throwback to our Heaven and Earth series. I hope you remember some of this. But most of us believe that heaven is this place that we go to when we die if we believe in Jesus. Jesus has a radically different view of heaven. Heaven is not a place you go to when you die. Heaven is a place that has come to earth here and now. We experience the realities of heaven because Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven with his first coming. And he will fully do away with the broken world and the evil of this world in his second coming and we will spend forever with Jesus in the new heaven and new earth. Heaven's not somewhere you go when you die. We're experiencing the realities of heaven here and now. It's the already but not yet kingdom. When we see the word heaven, we tend to think of uh, one day when I die or some place beyond our reach, somewhere above the clouds and the naked babies, that's kind of weird, but somewhere up there, 
is God. He's so distant, so absent. There's three Hebrew words for understanding uh, the word heaven. These three Hebrew words are um, kind of the eternal sense, like spending eternity with God, uh, the domain or authority sense that God, uh, his authority is, is over everything, therefore he's, his domain is the heavens, and the other uh, kind of obvious sense is the skies. Like in Genesis 1, where it says God created the heavens and the earth, that literally means God created the sky, as in this blue thing above us, and the dirt below us. That's what it literally means. When Jesus says here, our Father in heaven, do not let your minds race to this idea of some distant God on a cloud in a faraway galaxy that you'll never be able to embrace. What Jesus means here is our Father, you can think of it this way, our Father of the air. That God is all around us simultaneously around us everywhere, has no beginning and no end. Like we are surrounded by air and God is God of the air. He's the father in the air. The idea here is not that God is in some distant reality we call heaven and we'll get to meet him one day when we die. What Jesus is talking about, because all through the gospels he talks about this, is that the presence of God is here and now. It surrounds us. It is, it is like the very air we breathe. In, in the Old Testament, God instructs Moses to go and let my people go. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Moses is like, who should I say? Send me. And God says, tell them I am has sent you. And Moses is like, I don't know what that means. And eventually God says, Yahweh. Throw back to Epic a few years ago. But for those of you who weren't there, the Hebrew word Yahweh, the name that God gives himself is Y-H-W-H. It literally has no vowels in it. The name that God gives himself. If you were to try to pronounce this name, we call him, we say Yahweh, we insert an A and an E to make it easier. But if you were actually trying to pronounce this name in its authenticity, it would be pronounced like this. Very breathy. What does that sound like to you? Breathing. A few years ago, I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on it right now, but a few years ago, we learned that the name of God is the way we breathe. Every breath we take, we are pronouncing the name of God. Look in the book of Genesis. God makes Adam and Eve. He forms them out of the dust of the earth. They are lifeless and void, and God breathes into them. And that's when they come to life. It is the breath of God that is the life of men and women. The Old Testament word for spirit is ruach, but it means spirit, wind, or breath. All throughout the Bible, there is this theme that God's presence is breath, that God's spirit is air, that God is as near to us as the air we breathe. The name of God is an inhale and an exhale, reminding us of where our life comes from. Since the beginning, God has desired to be with his people. He's not a distant God on some cloud somewhere. He is the God as close as the air we breathe. Jesus then goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Guys, I don't know if you've ever tried to pick up a girl with this one. It won't work. Just FYI. Yo, girl, you looking hallowed today. You'll either be single forever or marry the most Christian girl you could ever imagine and probably a weirdo, all right? Oh, that was cruel. Okay, if hallowed gets you, then let's talk. 
Jesus says, stick with me. Jesus says, hallowed be your name. So what does this mean? It means holy. It means your name is holy. Your, your name is reverent. There is this idea of like a moral, like God, you're so holy. And that's true. But there's also this idea of like an aesthetic sense, a visual sense to this thing. And what it means is God, your name your name is utterly unique. There is none like it. There is no one like you. It's not just that God is holy. It's that God is so amazing. There is no one like God. If you read the scriptures and you read about God, you're just blown away with this, with this God who is love and gives love and gives grace and forgiveness and desires a relationship with his people and chases after his people. And the book of Psalms says that God breathes the stars out of his nostrils, right? Like what? The sun came out of his nose. What is that? Like there's all sorts of amazing things. You're like, who is this God? He's amazing. If one of your beliefs about prayer is that God is boring, I just got some news for you. It may not be on God's end that he's boring. It might be you that's boring. Because if you get bored with this character of God as you read about, man, like this is the most amazing concept. To, for Jesus to say, hallowed be your name, God, you're utterly unique. You're, you're, no one is like you. You're so different. You're so set apart. This is, Jesus is getting at this idea that we actually delight in who God is because no one is like our God. The, in other words, the more time we spend with God, even if you don't know what to say or do, just practicing what we talked about for the past two weeks, silence and solitude, even just being with God, you begin, begin to get a sense of how sweet that time is in his presence. When I was dating my wife, I am married, I have kids, you may wonder, you may be wondering, man, how'd you get her? Well, I wrote her a note. I said, girl, you hallow it. Okay, that's how I, that's how I got her. It's a secret sauce. Um, no, I, 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 I kept like a, a journal while we dated. We dated for three years, and I, I kept a journal. I would write her notes, and eventually when we got married, I gave it to her. I was like, oh, I've been writing these for three years. Uh. Um, I, no big deal. Uh. Like, I've just kept moving. I've just kept movie stubs and receipts and all from all these places, uh, like pictures we've, uh, this, this thing, scrapbook. And, uh. Anyway, I went back and I, I was reading some of these notes of like when I was dating this girl and what I was feeling and thinking in the time. And like one of these notes, she didn't read it then. This is like for later, but it was just describing like when she looked at me and the way her eyes would make me feel and like how I would think about her look her look, her gaze, and her eye. Oh, so. And it, it went on to talk about her smile, like when she smiles at me, like how, oh my gosh, I'm not, how it would make me feel. And went on to talk about her presence, just being with her, and, and like how that would change my day just to be with her. Like I was reading this, I was like, man, but what if we began to think about God like this, like, man, to be in the presence of God is so delightful. I can't help but have joy. Most of us, when we pray, we pray for things from God, hoping that those things will make us happy. Meanwhile, we completely overlook the idea that when we pray, it is the presence of God that will actually make us happy. 
And we're trying to find happiness and joy in this life through what we're asking for rather than the fact that we are in the presence of one like no other. This amazing being who loves us and allows us to call him father, dad, come hang out. I delight in you. I wanna spend time with you. Then Jesus says, verse 10, your kingdom come. Three words that have the potential to change your life forever. Your kingdom come. When we pray those things, what we are asking is that the realities of heaven, in terms of like how God has designed this world to be, would actually become the realities of earth. That the, the kingdom that Jesus brought, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's so close you can reach out and touch it. The kingdom that Jesus has ushered into the earth would be further ushered in. That literally we would be opening doors for the realities of the kingdom of heaven to invade this earth. And the culture and the ways of heaven would become the culture and the ways of earth. It's an amazing prayer. Your kingdom come. We're partnering with what Jesus is doing. But most of us, if we're honest, do not believe that praying can actually change a thing. Like, we just don't believe it. And so we consider prayer kind of like dead weight, like this baggage we gotta carry around. It doesn't, why do we even carry this? And we eventually drop it. But what if I told you that prayer actually changes things? There's some amazing examples of this in scripture. One is in Mark chapter nine, where this little girl is possessed by, or this little boy is possessed by a demon and the dad comes up, he's like, please deliver my son. He has this demon, nothing's helped. And the disciples try to cast out the demon, nothing, nothing. Jesus comes up, casts out the demon. And they say, how did you do that? And he says, this type of demon can only be cast out through prayer. In other words, if no one was praying, nothing would happen. What the scriptures teach us is that prayer literally has the power to change things in this life and world. I'm gonna say it as simple as this. When you pray, things happen that otherwise wouldn't have happened. When you don't pray, nothing happens. Now, does that mean every prayer you pray something? Like, no. Ultimately, God is not like a genie. Like, oh, you prayed it, I must do it. Like, it's not that kind of system. You're not Aladdin, okay? But the point that Jesus is saying here is, as we align our hearts with God, we begin to pray for the things of the kingdom. And we are actually creating differences in this world and life. You have the power to bend reality to align more with the kingdom than the ways of this world. And it comes through prayer. I know that's mysterious and I know that's like, what, dude, this is like bizarre. We have, we've bought into silly cliches like, oh, everything happens for a reason, bro. Everything happens for a reason. What? No, some things could be happening because the forces of evil in this world are allowing them to happen and God's people are not interceding. That's the reason. Or hey man, God's in control, bro. Just give it to God. God's in control of everything. What? So like don't participate in anything in this life? Like don't ask Jesus to do anything because God's, whatever's gonna happen will happen? Where did you get that bad theology? Like Jesus invites us to intercede so that the realities of kingdom would become realities on earth, to change realities. Certain things will happen that otherwise wouldn't have happened. I know that might be an unfamiliar thought. You might be like, what is this? What is this? One time I was in Florida. I was preaching to a group of students. It was like, it was in a conference. It was a retreat. It was the big night. Like, I'm about to invite them to come to Jesus tonight. You know what I mean? Like, third night of Epic. Everyone's, everyone's crying. 
snotty nose, spirits moving. I was in my room, I was preparing for my sermon, I was praying for the students, and I, I felt like the devil himself was laughing at me and told me, you will never have this group. You will never have this group of students. Mocking me as I prepared to invite them to believe in Jesus. The eerie and weird evil I felt in that room was so overwhelming, I dropped to my knees, I began crying on behalf of these students, praying that, that the gospel, that the light of the gospel, the hope of the gospel would be more powerful than the draw of evil and darkness in this world. I immediately, I called the youth pastor, I was like, you gotta rally all your volunteers right now, emergency meeting, I filled them in. We all began praying for the students that night, I came on stage, I was supposed to preach a sermon, I came out and I said, I know this is weird, I know this is different, but I'm not gonna preach right away. What we're gonna do instead is pray. I want you to get into groups of three, four, five, whatever, and begin to pray against the enemy and against evil. I sense that his hand is close and he wants you and I want you to want Jesus more. We're gonna pray. Students started praying, all of a sudden sin's coming out, students are crying, confessing, broken relationships are being restored. I didn't, like, I. Eventually I got to preaching, but it was like revival is happening. I haven't even, all I've done is invited them to pray, to bend the reality of what was going to happen and align it with what the kingdom wanted. Does it make sense? All right, let's recap. Let's land the, uh, the, the plane here. Simply put, prayer is the way we experience and talk to God. That's a very simple understanding of what prayer is. It's the way we experience his presence and the way we talk to him. Those four misconceptions we had in the beginning, let's recap. Based on just these few sentences, lines in the Lord's Prayer, four things that I want you to know tonight. God is your dad and he loves you. He's your father, he's your dad and he loves you. He delights in you, he has the best intentions for you. He wants to spend time with you. He cares about you. That first misconception we have, God doesn't care, he does care. In fact, he, he considers you a child a son or a daughter. Second, God is not far away, but is as close as the air you breathe. God is not in some distant cloud with weird naked cherub babies flying around everywhere. So weird. Why do we have that weird theology? God rules over everything. His authority is as high as the heavens. He sits on the throne of heaven and is as close as the air you breathe. He is right here, right here. Third, prayer is meant to delight in God's company. The more you spend time with God, the more you begin to delight in his company. You become consumed and overwhelmed with his goodness and how amazing he is. Fourth and final, your prayers really do make a difference. I know it's confusing, it's mysterious, it's miraculous. I'm not guaranteeing that everything you pray for will happen or that you would even know it happens. Just because you want a new car, you want that bay, or you want that boot, it doesn't mean that it will happen. But look at how it flows here. When we begin to understand God as, as Father, and we begin to understand His presence is near, and we begin to delight in His presence, we also begin to align our heart with His, and we understand more and more of how to pray and what to pray for. And then the things we ask for are actually more in line with kingdom and not with our own hearts. And so our prayers really begin to make a difference because we are asking the kingdom of God to come into this earth and we're praying specific things. That is what I'm gonna leave us with tonight. We're not gonna make it through the whole Lord's Prayer, but that is what Jesus wants us to learn, I think, through the first few lines of the Lord's Prayer. So let us close tonight with prayer. 
Not as some routine, like, oh, close the sermon. I just close my eyes and lower my head and I have no idea what the dude said. I never listened. Let's actually pray. Posture our heart to our Father whose presence is right in this room to delight in him and ask for things of the kingdom. Jesus, we love you. You are like no other. You are amazing. And your presence is right here with us. Father, we ask that through your spirit, you would teach us how to delight in your presence, that prayer would not be some weird, boring, uh, dusty, unused practice in our life, but that we would actually find the riches of your presence that is just waiting for us to to run into your arms and be hugged and held and delight in you and to experience the goodness that comes from you. And Jesus, we do pray and we posture our hearts. We do ask that your kingdom and the ways of your kingdom would come in this life and on this earth. We pray that the realities of the kingdom would become realities on this earth. We pray against evil. We pray against darkness. We pray for one another. We pray for peace where there's conflict. We pray that those in the darkness would come to know the light. We pray, Father, that your spirit would stir hearts and that this generation would rise up as a generation who delights in God, knows the presence of God, knows how to pray to God on behalf of others and things and experiences the realities of heaven falling on this earth. We sing about it, we get hyped for it, but we don't pray it. Teach us to pray. We echo the question of the disciples. Teach us to pray, Jesus. We ask in your name.